What's up everyone, I'm your amazing host, Luke Whaley, and welcome to the final and last episode of Believe It or Not. I said it last week and I'll say it again. Thank you to everyone who's been listening and supporting this podcast from the beginning. I've had literally the best time recording and sharing my stories and my life with every single one of you. Today's episode is part three of the Calhoun Creeper case. going over part three of three of the Calhoun Creeper case. Last week we did part two and the week before part one, but if you have not listened to either one of those, I would advise you to go and listen to both of those episodes because without listening to those and you listen to this one, you'll be sincerely confused. So please, please, please go listen to the first two episodes. So here we go. Let's get into it. As soon as the CCPD excavated May's body, she was sent off to the coroners. Even though they figured it was May without her head, she wasn't officially identified until after her autopsy. Austin hoped they'd find something, hopefully not a dead body, but something that would link them to the killer. Churches around town fed the families of the victims and their funerals took place just a few days later. The only thing found on the three girls were the CC necklace. The Calhoun Creeper wasn't, was officially a serial killer, his victims being Amanda Wright, Amy Little, Rachel Edwards, Lily Hatfield, and May Whaley. The five girls in a matter of two weeks, and the Calhoun Creeper was still out there on the loose. Austin knew the killer ordered 20 necklaces from the jeweler. They found 13 in the hotel and one was on each victim. He only had 18 in his, po in his possession in evidence, but no one knew where the other two were. Were they on other girls' dead bodies? Austin and the rest of Calhoun hoped not. But in the meantime, the Calhoun City Police Department continued to investigate the areas where the three bodies were found. Nothing was found but a few shoe prints, but they were hard to identify due to the wet ground from the rain the night the bodies were found. When the girl got out of the when word got out about there being a serial killer, another mom came forward about her missing child. African American sixteen year old Erica Davis was claimed to have been missing since April the thirteenth, just a day ago. Erica's mother, Yvette, came into the Calhoun City Police Department on April fourteenth and explained that she had dropped her daughter off at the library around five PM. Yvette was scared that this Calhoun Creeper guy had killed her daughter. Detective Moore knew that Erica didn't fit the Calhoun Creeper's M.O. All of his other victims were young, white girls between the age of 9 and 13. Erica was black and was much older than the other three girls. Or, the other girls. Austin couldn't ponder the possibility that another girl could have been murdered by the Calhoun Creeper but he also didn't think that Erica could have been one of his victims. 
Yvette Davis argued with Austin and the rest of the police department for hours before Austin gave in. He interviewed Yvette about Erica, and this is what he found out. <clears throat> Erica was an only child of a single mother, Yvette. Yvette worked at, at the local diner as a waitress making minimum wage, which was which at the time was $4 an hour. Yvette explains to Austin that her father died when Erica was young, and Yvette had dated other men since then. Yvette and her daughter were close. They talked about boys all the time. Erica even had a boyfriend when she went missing. Yvette told Austin Percy Cooper was her boyfriend. Percy was 18 and attended the same school as I did, actually. We were both pretty good friends. He hung out with me, Brandon, and the other guys. Although Percy wasn't one that was at the ice cream shop that night. But never once had I known that he was dating Erica Davis, a 15-year-old geek. You see, I remember Erica pretty well. I had, a math, I had a class with her. It was math. Erica was really smart. I'd even admit that she was smarter than I was at the time. Percy, on the other hand, was a grid behind me. Dumb is kind of a rude way to put it, but I hated the guy during my senior year. So, yeah, he was dumb. Sorry, guys. I could go on and on about the terrible things he did to me in 92. <clears throat> Yvette tells Austin that the last time she saw Erica was before she dropped her off at the library. Austin tried looking for any and every evidence that linked her disappearance to the Calhoun Creeper, but everything he found was a dead end. Nothing connected her to the Calhoun Creeper. At this point, he gave up believing that Erica was killed or even kidnapped by the serial killer. The library had no surveillance system that could catch Erica leaving the library, and the library was so deserted at the time of her disappearance that there were no witnesses of her even leaving the library. It was as if she was hiding in the library from her mother to this day. It wasn't until the next day when the Calhoun, the, the Calhoun City Police Department received a call from Gordon Hospital claiming Erica Davis was just admitted and was in surgery. When Austin, Yvette, and Percy arrived at the hospital, they had to wait for, they had to wait for at least an hour, which felt like all day, to see Erica. As soon as she had, as soon as she was admitted to a room, Yvette went to visit her daughter. Erica had been severely beaten. She had bruises all over her arms and legs. She suffered from a concussion, and it looked as if someone had tried to strangle her. The surgeon, the surgeon told Yvette and Austin that she had been shot, and that's why she was in surgery. It wasn't but an hour later when Erica came out of surgery. She was shot in the, she was shot in the right arm by luck. She was shot in the right arm, and by luck, she survived. It was thanks to her that the Calhoun Creeper would be caught. When Erica finally woke, Austin and her mother, Yvette, went, went into the room. She explains that on the way back from the library, she was picked up by Percy's friend, Brandon Edwards. Austin tells that as soon as she said the name, his heart sunk. He knew exactly what he was what she was about to say. Erica tells that instead of taking her home, Brandon took her out into the country and kept her in a cabin. 
Erica has a hard time confessing to Austin and her mother about cheating on Percy with Brandon. This is why she willingly got into the vehicle and let him take her to the cabin. When Erica tried leaving the next day, Brandon wouldn't let her, and they broke out into an argument. This argument soon led to led Brandon to become violent with Erica, causing her to panic. Erica tells Austin that as soon as she got the upper hand, she ran, but before she was able to reach the vehicle, she felt the gunshot. The only thing that bothered Austin about Brandon being the Calhoun Creeper was the fact that Rachel Edwards was Brandon's cousin. Austin couldn't wrap his head around it. Austin immediately called for backup to meet him at Brandon's estate. Within the next 30 minutes, Austin and his backup arrived at the Edwards estate. Upon arrival, Austin notices the front door was open. The home sounded quiet. Austin tells Eleven Alive that the quiet seemed odd. Austin and the CCPD go into the home, only to find Ashley Edwards dead in the kitchen floor. She was stabbed several times in the chest and lied on her back beside the fridge. Puddles of blood were underneath her body, and a trail of blood from shoe prints led through the house toward the back of the home. Austin followed the trail, hoping that Brandon was still in the home, but he followed the trail to the back door where the trail came to an abrupt stop. Brandon's size 9 shoes sat on the back porch and the sliding door was wide open with blood covering the white door handle. Ashley had been killed within the past hour, the investigators guessed. The blood was still fresh and Austin knew Brandon couldn't have gotten far. That was until the Edwards neighbor told Austin that Ashley's vehicle was missing. The neighbor, Ann Judd, told that she watched Brandon walk into the home around 9.40 a.m., and left in Ashley's off-white Ford Pinto within the next 40 minutes. CCPD pulled the license plate number from Ashley's records and put an APB on Brandon and the vehicle. Austin hoped someone would see him in the vehicle and call it in. As soon as the APB was put out on Brandon, a.k.a. the Calhoun Creeper, the Whaley's, the, re the rest of the Edwards, and the Hatfields locked their doors. They were scared that Brandon would come for them. Nobody in, nobody in town believed that Brandon was a killer, but I remember it like it was yesterday. The moment my father, Jim, and I saw Brandon's face on the TV, we were both shocked. I had no idea, and he was one of my best friends. I assumed the CCPD and Austin would come back to me and ask me questions, but they never did. I guess they had other stuff to deal with, like finding Brandon. When my dad saw Brandon's face on the news on the TV, his exact words were, I always had a weird feeling about that kid. Word for word. The TV was put out when a, 911 call, when a 911 call came in from West Gordon County. The responding dispatcher heard cries and screams from a girl on the line. The dispatcher calms the girl down enough to get her to talk. Nora Monroe, the girl tells that the man on the TV broke into her house and killed her younger sister, Grace, and injured her. The dispatcher immediately sent the police and paramedics out to the house. As soon as Austin walked into the home, he noticed the home was trashed. This, this wasn't normal for the Calhoun Creeper. This wasn't his normal M.O. Austin knew he was more dangerous now that he was on the run and trying to get away from the cops. Brandon wouldn't stop until he got away or was arrested for good. After questioning the survivor of the attack, 
Austin received a call from Detective Hamill of the FBI. Hamill told Austin that him and other agents from that from within the FBI were on the way down to track down Brandon Edwards. Austin was scared. Austin was scared this meant he was going to lose his job when the investigation was done and over with. They were closer than ever to catching the Calhoun Creeper, and Austin couldn't stop now. He couldn't have gone far within the 20 minutes after killing the girl and Wes Gordon. The case went cold again for a day until a 911 call told Austin where Brandon had last been. When the CCPD and the FBI arrived at the home in Lafayette, Georgia, it was again too late. A mother and daughter were killed in their rooms. The husband of the mother explained The husband of the mother explained that when he came home the next morning, he found his daughter first. She was stabbed seven times with the with he she was I'm sorry. She was stabbed seven times and the knife was found in her body still. Her mother was strangled to death. When the autopsy was done on the two bodies, the mother was said to have died nine hours ago, while the little girl had been killed around six hours ago. Why did Brandon keep her alive after killing her mother? What psycho does that? When forensics came back, Brandon's DNA had been found all over the home. In the master bath, in the shower, strands of his hair was found in the shower wall. His DNA was also found in the kitchen, on a fork, spoon, bowl, plate, and a cup. He had lived in the house after he killed the two females. This was the weirdest thing they have known the Calhoun Creeper to do. This showed that he was more of a creep than anything else in the entire case did. This was absolutely weird. The Ford Pinto was still parked in the driveway when the victim's husband came home and found the bodies. Wherever Brandon, wherever Brandon Edwards was, he was on foot, likely armed, and nobody had seen him leave the last victim's home. Another day had passed with no new information on Brandon's whereabouts or another 911 call. If he had killed again, nobody had found the nobody had found the body yet, and reported it. Without any more killings that anybody knew of, those days turned into weeks, which turned into months. Five years passed with no signs that Brandon Edwards was even alive. There was no killings that matched the same M.O. of the Calhoun Creeper. It was 1996 when a skeleton was pulled out of Weiss Lake in Cedar Bluff, Alabama. There was no DNA to test. The only thing forensics had to go by was dental records. As soon as the records came back, the Calhoun City Police Department was notified. Detective Austin Moore would finally get to close the Calhoun Creeper case. The skeleton in Weiss Lake was Brandon Edwards, a.k.a. the Calhoun Creeper. Seven years passed, and a total of 12 years had passed since the Calhoun Creeper murders took place. It was late 2003 in the town of Cleveland, Tennessee. Population, 48,000. Cleveland was just a normal place to live, just like Calhoun, Georgia, was seven years prior. Cleveland was just an hour's drive away from Calhoun, and they were also about to get their own personal view of a creeper horror story. <clears throat> it was November 27th, the day after Thanksgiving, infamously known as Black Friday. It was 6pm when Bobby and Christine Eller had just gotten home from their Black Friday shopping. Their 13-year-old twin daughters, Tracy and Tina, stayed home for the day and cleaned the house for their parents. 
As soon as Bobby walked into the home, he called out for his daughters to, to stay in the room so they could bring in the gifts and presents that they had just purchased at the several different stores they had been to. The girls never once answered back, but Bobby just thought they were hiding somewhere in, somewhere in the home so they wouldn't see their Christmas presents. After Bobby and Christine brought in the presents, Bobby told the girls they could come back out from hiding, but again, they didn't answer. Bobby immediately thought they were Bobby immediately thought they were playing a prank and were going to try and jump out and scare them. The girls had just recently watched The Shining for the first time and had been obsessed with dressing up like the twin girls from the movie and walking around the home. It freaked Bobby out, but Christine thought it was cute and funny. She's weird, I know. Cuz those girls creep me out. I don't know anyone who would think they're cute. Bobby again yelled for the girls, but they didn't answer. Him and Christine listened close, hoping to hear them move, hoping to hear them moving around somewhere in the home, but there was no sound of little feet running around the house. Where was his kids? Bobby started to get fed up and began getting and began to get angry. He raised his voice and shouted for the for his girls to come out of hiding. That's when Christina decided to go down the hall to her daughter's bedroom. The twin girls shared a bedroom and always had since they were born. Bobby spoke up before Christina opened the door and said, If they're wearing those darn matching dresses, I'ma lose it. When Christina opened the bedroom door, she screamed out in fear, dread, and sadness. Bobby rushed to her to see what she was seeing. Tracy and Tina lied on their backs in their beds. Blood covered the beds and dripped down to the carpet below, but the girls' heads were missing. They were both decapitated. What had happened to their little girls, and who would do this to them? When the police showed up, they immediately began their investigation. The bodies were removed within the next hour, but before they were removed from the crime scene, the lead detective, Alex Sanders, noticed something on the girls' wrists. It was a bracelet with a gold-plated pendant. On the pendant, the letters CC were carved into it. When questioning Bobby and Christina about the girls, he mentioned the bracelets, but the parents claimed to have no idea what he was talking about. They'd never once seen the bracelets in their lives. When the information about the murders went public, the rest of the town began to talk. Rumors went around that this was a copycat of the Calhoun Creeper from Georgia. Other rumors talked about the rare possibility that Brandon Edwards was still alive and had killed the Eller twins. The similarities between the murders were outrageously too undeniably identical for the rumors not to go around. They were both 13, year old, 13 years old. They had been decapitated, and a piece of custom jewelry, which was marked with CC, was found on their body. For the next few weeks, Cleveland, Tennessee was on edge, hoping and praying that there wouldn't be another murder. Thankfully, their prayers were answered, but the Eller twins' murder was still out there somewhere. Was it a copycat? Was it the real Brandon Edwards, who might not actually be dead? Or one of the more popular and crazy theories out there? Was it the demon of Brandon Edwards coming back to kill one last time? And would he kill again? If any of these theories are true, then why hasn't he killed in the past almost 
20-some years. To this day, the Cleveland Police Department has not found any leads or evidence that might could answer any of the any of the thousands of questions and theories out there. Bobby and Christina Eller currently has a $20,000 award for any information that could lead to the arrest of Tracy and Tina's murderer. But I just gotta say, thank you all to everyone that's listened to the past 365 episodes of Believe It or Not. I've had the best time. Uh... And it stopped recording, so I guess this is going in the episode. <laughs> Blue Ridge Police Department, what please finally open up. We know you're in there. Uh, sorry guys, I'm that. I really have no idea what's going on out there. I don't know. What's the... Hey, hey, what's going on? Wait, wait, Mr. Whaley, wait. you're under arrest for the murder of May wait. Whaley. You have the right to remain silent. Hey everyone, it's your host, Owen Sides, and welcome back to another episode of The Dreadverse Show. So today's episode is going to be a little shorter than most, because I just wanted to um, use this moment for a small update in the Calhoun Creeper case. See, most of you have probably heard of the case and may even know Luke Whaley, who is a fellow podcaster of mine. He, um, I've actually worked with him a few times, but... If you've been listening to the Dreadverse show for a while, you probably have heard the episode when I interviewed him. As we know, the Calhoun Creeper case was closed in 1996 after the skeletal remains of Brandon Edwards was found in Weiss Lake in Cedar Bluff, Alabama. The case was quickly reopened for investigation this past year after DNA evidence from the necklace found on May's corpse was again ran through their databases. That DNA found on the necklace belonged to none other than Luke Whaley. And when the Blue Ridge Police Department arrived at Luke's cabin, their original plan was just ask him a few questions. But upon entering the small room, a human skull was found hanging above Luke's desk where he recorded, where he records practically every podcast he's ever done. And so Luke was immediately arrested for the murder of May. But upon the court date, Luke confessed to killing Lily Hatfield and Rachel Edwards, as well as May, his own cousin. The three girls were not killed by the Calhoun Creeper like everyone thought. And in, in the last episode of Luke Whaley's show, Believe It or Not, Luke told of the events and evidence found by the CCPD back in 1991, 96, and 2003. But Luke didn't tell the entire truth of the story. Luke confesses that he was highly aware that Brandon had been acting pretty strange. In fact, Luke tells FBI detectives that he remembers seeing Brandon with Amanda Wright after her mother had went to the police department about her disappearance. Luke says that he had access to the motel where Brandon hid the custom necklaces. He had taken three of them with the intent with the intention of giving May, Rachel, and Lily one for their upcoming birthdays, but things took a turn for the worse that night. Only two murders went unsaid for, the Eller twins, Tracy, and Tina. Just as Luke Whaley put it in the last episode, nobody knows who the killer is. When the news of Luke's arrest went public, I hoped that Luke was the twins' murderer, only for the parents' sake.
They deserve to know the truth and to know who killed their children. Luke was questioned about the twins' murder, but he denied being involved. In fact, in 2003, during the fall, he was in the... Sorry, he was in the Fannin Regional Hospital Emergency Department due to a fatal car accident, so there's no way he could have been even connected to the girls' murders. Thoughts and prayers go out to the families of the victims and of Brandon Edwards and Luke Whaley, especially the Whaley family, who had no idea of Luke's involvement within the Calhoun Creeper case. <clears throat> so, that's all I wanted to say about that, and... I guess I will see y'all in the next episode of The Dreadverse Show. Bye, guys.